Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Samuel... Uh, divides itself nicely into three main sections. Chapters 1 through 10, David's triumphs. Chapters 11 through 12, David's trials. And chapters 13 through 24, David's troubles. David's triumphs, David's trials, and David's troubles. Second Samuel is a book about David's 40-year reign as king in Israel or 40-year reign as king, some in Israel, half, seven and a half in Hebron, and 33 years in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have been with me since Second Samuel chapter 1? Just show of hands, since chapter 1. Okay, that's a good number of you. How many have been with me in Second Samuel since chapter 12? Since chapter 12. Okay, that is also a good number of you. So, you know... Um, 11 and 12, trying to find out how much I need to cover here. You know that 11 and 12, the royal family is royally becoming unraveled. David had an affair with Bathsheba. Remember in chapter 11 and 12, David had an affair with uh, with Bathsheba, uh, who was married to Uriah the Hittite. Nathan, the prophet, prophesies and tells David in 2 Samuel, look at chapter 12, right about verse 10. 2 Samuel 12, right about verse 10. Nathan tells David, because of his sin with Bathsheba, the sword shall never depart from your home. And since the sin with Bathsheba, there's been nothing but problems. There was a child conceived, you know, um, by David and Bathsheba, and soon after... Being born, the child died. David's son, Ammon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. David didn't do anything about it, and Absalom was angry for two years. After two years, Absalom decided to take things into his own hands, and Absalom had his servants kill his brother, Amnon, at a party. Absalom goes to stay. He runs, he flees, he goes to stay with his grandfather, Talmay, because he is now a murderer. He stays there for three years, and for three years, David mourns his children. Because at this point, he has lost two sons and one daughter. Tamar has been raped, Ammon is dead, and Absalom is gone out of his life. Remember, Nathan said, the sword shall never depart from your house. All of this is the result of one moment of sin in David's life with Bathsheba. So then we come to chapter 14. Joab, the commander-in-chief, perceived David's heart. Look at chapter 14, right about verse 1. Joab, who is the 
commander-in-chief perceived that David's heart was heavy and he was concerned about Absalom. And so Joab loved David, flaws and all. Look about verse 1 and 2. Flaws and all, loved David. Joab understands David was a man after God's own heart, but David was still a man. And so Joab decided to try and bring David and Absalom together. Look at verse 2, chapter 14. Joab hired a widow woman from Tekoa with a similar story of estrangement from her son. Joab tells the widow woman to dress like she's mourning for the dead, and then she would tell David this story. Look at verse 5. I am a widow, and I have two sons and two boys that fight all the time. One of the boys hit the other one and killed them. Now the whole family is against me, and they want me to give up my only boy so that they can kill him and avenge his blood. She said, King, if they kill my last son, my husband won't have a namesake and on the earth, and I won't have any family. We'll look at verses 18 through 8 through 17. 8 through 17, just peruse with me. The story touched David's heart because of his two sons were in a similar situation. David said, I'll take care of it. Go to your house. Look at verse 11. As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. David totally believed this woman and guaranteed this woman's safety at the expense of justice. Now look at verse 12 and 13. The woman said, uh, one more thing. Why have you schemed against God's people? Verse 13. Why are you being hypocritical? Talking out of both sides of your mouth. Here you are offering my son clemency, who is guilty of murder, and you're refusing to give your own son clemency and allowing him to come home. This is the very point that Joab wanted to get across to David. Look at verse 14 of chapter 14. I told you the last time, it was maybe six weeks ago now, I told you that this is a very profound verse. For we will surely die and become like water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not, y'all looking at verse 14, yet God does not take away life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now, where did Joab find this woman? She is an extremely wise woman. She's talking about, even if you're taking notes, she's talking about the urgency of reconciliation. The urgency of reconciliation. She says, King David, everybody's going to die someday. And if there's anything to be said, say it while they're alive. In other words, give, you know what? We used to sing a song in the old church. And uh, not we, uh, this one guy, first of the month, every month. Honey, you remember? First of the month, Darnell. Every month, first of the month, the church would give Someone, some random person, whatever name was selected, a bouquet of flowers. This was every month, year after year, for 20 years that I've, that I've known myself. And this guy would sing this song, the first of the month, every Sunday, the first Sunday of every month, give them their flowers while they can smell them. Anybody know that song? Give, yes, okay. Give... Me, my flowers, while I can smell them, so that I can see the beauty that they bring. We heard that song every first Sunday of the month for 
20 hundred years. We were like, okay, here we give me my flowers. And then everybody's sitting in anticipation. It was a trip. Everybody's sitting in anticipation, you know, to get the flowers. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Give Sister Finch her flowers. Oh, it's me. It's me. I will never forget. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then everybody, and everybody, and they try to give every sister in the church Oh, uh, they don't get the brothers of flowers, all right? And that, they, ain't, they ain't like that. But, but they, they try to give all the, all the sisters the, the flowers and give them a bouquet of flowers in the church or whatever. And, and, and David, you know, this widow woman, this woman of Tekoa, widow woman, say that three times, widow woman. This woman of Tekoa, she, she says, listen, listen, life is short. And, and, and there's an urgency of reconciliation. If you have something to say to somebody, say it to them as soon as you can. Say it to them while they are living because when they die, there's no do-overs. There's no opportunity to redo the things that have been done. Or you can't put spilt water back in a cup. Death ends the opportunity. This woman is saying, David, the opportunity for restoration is fleeting, so seize it and reconcile with your son. Well, look at verse 19. David said, is Joab behind all this? And then she spills the beans. He put the words in my mouth. Verse 21, David said, you're right. I gave pardon to her son, but not mine. I've granted this thing. Bring back Absalom. Verse 22 and 23, Joab thanked the king, went to Gersher, brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. And David said, look at verse 24. I don't want to see his face and I don't want him to see my face. Let him go down to his own house. So Absalom went to his own house, but he didn't see the king's face. Now, listen, David is under much conviction. David is, 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 can't even look at Absalom because David, and David's probably hurting too. He's probably hurting too. Absalom killed his brother, David's son. Absalom, uh, there's, there's, there's a rift between the father and the son. It's not easy. So he's under conviction too. So Absalom had, to be, had been back in Jerusalem for two years and didn't see David's face. And during those two years, Absalom grew more and more. Listen, saints, here's where, we get, here's where it gets tied into the story coming up. It, Absalom becomes more and more bitter against David. Now do the math. Absalom killed Ammon. And he was gone for three years, now back in Jerusalem for two years. That's a total of five years that David didn't see Absalom. That's five years of resentment and bitterness building up. Verse 32, Absalom finally breaks the silence, asks Joab to ask David, why did he bring me back from Gersher? I was living with my grandfather and my grandma cooking. My grandma's cooking, and I'm there Comfortable getting fat. If you're not going to talk to me, then I should have stayed there for, for, and, and, and remained there. And Absalom said, let me see the king's face. And if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. But this, is, this has got to end. This is what Absalom saying. It's got to end. Now, you might be thinking that's nice that Absalom wants to reconcile, but there's something else going on here. Listen, I've titled this sermon Treason treason. Second Samuel chapter 15, we pick it up in verse 1. Saints, if you're looking at verse 1, say amen. amen. After this, it happened 
that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And so it was whenever anybody who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land. And everybody who has a lawsuit could cause or a cause would could come to me and then I would give him justice. And so it was in verse five, whenever anybody came near to bow down to him, the king, that he Absalom would put out his hand and take him aside and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. And so Absalom stole the heart of the men of Israel. Saints, let's stop right there. Give me your attention. At this point, the kingdom is in distress, distress nationally, and David is in distress personally. Personally, David is still flooded with the guilt of adultery and murder. Politically, David was losing control of his kingdom. Domestically, David's family is devastated by death and rape and revenge and rebellion. Note verse 33. I want you to look at it in chapter 14. It tells us that Absalom came and bowed before the king, and David kissed Absalom before the entire court. Are y'all getting this? Everyone sees it. After this, Absalom, chapter 15, verse 1, is kissed before the entire court and is validated and received public recognition by the king. He regains his status and he buys some horses and chariots. Now listen, Absalom is politicking. He's simply politicking. And he's giving the people what they want. And what do they want? They want image. Listen, y'all. They want image. Remember, Israel, they always want an image. They want a strong image, someone who looked and acted like a king. Remember, that's exactly why they chose, anybody know? Saul. That's exactly why he chose Saul, because of image. He looked like a king. He looked and played the part, the outward appearance. Absalom had the full package. He was tall, dark, handsome, thick, wavy hair. Chapter 14, you can fast forward if you like, in verse 26, tells us from his feet to the crown of his head, there was no blemish. He was like the Fabio of the Old Testament. You should write that down right next to 26. He was like the Fabio of the Old Testament. So Absalom begins to put his own little private militia together, chariots and horses. He didn't need chariots. That's all about image. As soon as Absalom stepped foot on Israeli soil, he wanted to look kingly. Huh? So he pulls up in this blinged out chariot. Probably nice Clydesdale horses looking kingly. Absalom was ambitious, and that ambition was born out of bitterness. Did you hear me? Absalom was ambitious, and that ambition was born out of bitterness. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me talk a little bit about ambition. Ambition, because I think that when we hear the word ambition, we often think that that's a bad thing. We often think ambition is 
a bad thing. It has a negative connotation. Ambition is often associated with pride and self-centeredness and carelessness, and we call people who are driven ambitious. There was this preacher, read this quote, this Puritan preacher, and his name was Thomas Brooks, and he wrote this. He said, ambition is a glided mystery, a secret poison, a hidden plague. Ambition is the engineer of deceit, the mother of hypocrisy, the parent of envy. Ambition is the original vice. It was ambition that got Satan and his agreeable angels thrown out of heaven. It was ambition that got Adam and Eve thrown out of the garden. It was ambition that got Judas thrown into hell. Ambition is a destroyer of virtue, the blinder of hearts, trying, turning medicine into malady and remedy into disease. I love that. Ambition. Not all ambition is bad. Don't get me wrong. Not all ambition is bad. Uh, Paul was ambitious. Paul was ambitious. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul said, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, we to be well-pleasing to him. Paul wrote, Timothy, if a man wants to be a pastor, he desires a good thing. So not all ambition is bad. I believe there's two types of ambition. And you might want to write this down. Two types of ambition. There's spiritual ambition and there's sinful fleshly ambition. Paul was spiritually ambitious. In other words, he never sought great things for himself. He always sought great things for God. He lived to please the Lord. Everything he did, he did for the glory of the Lord. The height of his ambition is to please God. The breadth of his ambition was to please God. Paul was spiritually ambitious, and we should be spiritually ambitious. There's nothing wrong with that. And then there's selfish ambition. Aristotle, get this, defines selfish ambition as people who want to achieve political office by making themselves look bigger and better than others. That's completely, that completely describes Absalom. Selfishly ambitious. Absalom is going to commit treason because of ambition. And note how he did it. Look at verse 2. Absalom would get up early and stand at the gate. Whenever someone came to speak to David for a decision to be made, Absalom would say, hey, what city are you from? And they say, Philly. And Absalom would go, me too. Me too. Absalom would say, what tribe are you from? Judah. Me too. Me too, I'm from Judah. Judah means praise. I know. He would just kind of butter them up and get, them, get acquainted with them so people could feel comfortable around them. And then in verse 3, look at verse 3, they obviously got around to talking about the reason they came. And Absalom would say, listen, you got a good case, but there's nobody to hear you. Many times you call the office, nobody answers the phone. You send an email or a tweet, nobody tweets you back. Verse 4, Absalom said, you know, if I were judge, I would do things different. Maybe you might campaign for me to be deputy. I could hear your case. Verse 6, Absalom did this very thing every time a person came to speak to the king. So Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Note that. Very clever. Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. In other words, Absalom's cunning campaign worked. He became more popular and more trusted than David. Absalom was very smart. He knew exactly how to do it. Watch the progression. 
or the exact behavior that won their hearts. Notice he carefully made himself look good. Chariots and horses. He didn't need that. Fifty men to run before him. The Bible tells us he would get up early. He worked hard. He knew where to position himself beside the way of the gate. He looked for troubled people, anybody who had a lawsuit. He reached out to people. Are y'all listening? He reached out to people. Absalom would call them to him. He took a personal interest in troubled people. What city are you from? He sympathized with the person. Your case is good and right, and oh, I know just what you're going through. He left the troubled people more trouble. No deputy of the king to hear you. But the king is busy, unavailable. He doesn't care, doesn't answer your call. Absalom would say, oh, if I were king, I would take care of the matter. Absalom was crafty. He didn't directly attack David. He said, if I were made judge in the land, anybody that had a legal problem could come to me. I would be available and give them justice. Now, listen, Absalom is committing and trying to divide the kingdom. And if anybody reported it to David, Absalom could say, look, tell me one specific thing that I have done. Do you see how crafty this is? Absalom could say, tell me one specific thing that I have done. Tell me one thing that I have done as an actor. He didn't. He used his words kind of craftily so that nobody could really accuse him of any one thing. As a matter of fact, Absalom could say, I'm helping David to deal with all the discontented people. But actually, he was promoting himself. Very shrewd. And let me tell you something. I know exactly how David feels. And because and, this very thing, to tell you the truth, be quite honest with you, this very thing kind of happened right here at Calvary Chapel. So many years ago, I'm not going to go into detail. I'm not going to tell you who. Y'all got written on your face. Who is it? What's their name, pastor? What's their name? I'm not going to tell you. But so many years ago, and those of you who've been around here a while, you know this. We had a staff pastor. Had is the operative word there. Had a staff pastor who was, he was starting a church within this church. Stop, 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 stop. Y'all, now y'all baiting me. All right, don't do it. All right. He was starting a church within this church. I mean, it was like he's got people coming down. See, if I tell too much and I'm going to tell y'all who it is, I got to, okay, I got to get like Absalom, get clever and crafty with my words. So if I tell you too much, I'm telling you and I give it away, you're going to know who it is. But they were just starting a church within this church and telling people, you know, getting people to come to where they are. And actually, then when it was all said and done, the person started a church across town, uh, across town. They had a 5013C done, which is a big project. Um, something that I asked him to do for here, but he didn't do it for here, but he did it for his own church, own bank account. Chairs bought, building rented, and just ready to pull the trigger to get all the people who I didn't even know he had been talking to. Hey, you know, uh, I'm be uh, doing a little Bible study, wink, wink, a little Bible study on Sundays, wink, wink, over at wink, wink. I'm not going to tell y'all over at. That's not cool. That is not cool. And that is not the Lord. Let me tell you, listen, 
I will tell you this, unless the Lord builds a house, the man labors in vain. I can tell you this, that never happened. It never happened. Go ahead and clap your hands. I was happy about it, actually. It never happened. God didn't let it happen because it wasn't God in the beginning. God doesn't work like that. God is not crafty like you. Now, I ain't talking nobody here. I'm just saying God is not crafty. God does things in order. God does things right. God doesn't need to be shrewd. And I'll tell you another thing about God. God is good. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That much I do know. I'll wait while you clap your hands there. Listen, the church is the best dysfunctional family out there. We have to be careful that we aren't being an Absalom in the church. We got to be careful that we aren't being deceived by an Absalom in the church. And we have to guard against deceitfulness and gossip. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.